Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we speak with Craig Smith, CEO of Burton Snowboards China. With the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing right around the corner, we continue our look at snow sports in China, this time through the lens of the sport of snowboarding and a discussion with the person heading up the most famous brand name in the sport, Burton. We talk about the snow sport culture in China and compare it to that of Japan and compare the clientele makeup of the Chinese consumer with those in the West. We talk about how Burton markets and localizes snow sports in China and how Burton focuses on marketing it as a lifestyle in China. We talk about how retail has evolved in China and how Burton has adapted and a broader look at how brands should set goals and strategize for market entry into China. We wrap up a conversation discussing what the impact of the Winter Olympics in China will have on Burton's China operations. Enjoy. Part of the sponsorship deal was to send the athletes to Canada, to Whistler. So we sent the team over there and it was about 15 participants for the camp. We got them there and got them on snow. And two days later, um, Ben gave me a call and said, hey, Craig, I'm really sorry, but these kids don't really know how to snowboard yet. I'm like, hey, Ben, just wait. Two weeks later, he calls me up and says, hey, Craig, you know, um, just want to give you an update. You're right. Yeah, they're they're good athletes. They're snowboarding very well. And this one young girl, her name is Yu. Um, just did a perfect 720 and a half pipe after two weeks of snowboarding. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Well, thank you for having me. So as we usually do with with all of our guests, and we usually have these fun stories of how we ended up in China, but you don't just have a fun story about how you ended up in China. You have a title that explains the fact of why you're in China. So tell us a little bit about maybe your professional history and how you ended up as the CEO of Burton China. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I'm a very lucky man. I've been uh, working for, for, for Burton Snowboards for over 20 years. Um, really, I started my, my career with Burton in, uh, out of our Tokyo office. Um, I spent most of my, uh, my career in Tokyo, um, kicking off, uh, the career working in a sports marketing company, uh, representing a, a, a brand called power bar. So back in the day, back when triathlons and mountain bikings, mountain, sorry, triathletes and mountain bikers were, um, using power bars to, energize themselves to get up and down the hills and around the lakes. I remember stuff. power bars for sure. Yeah, it is great. And then because power bar, one of our uh, companies we worked with was, was Oakley um, out of, out of California. So in 95, I was fortunate enough to land the job to start Oakley Japan subsidiary. Uh, so I did that for, for about five years and then um, fell in love with snowboarding in, in the nineties and, the opportunity to jump from Oakley to Burton uh, opened up and I took it and started my career with Burton out of our Tokyo office overseeing all of APAC. Um, so at that time it was Japan, 
Korea, China, and New Zealand and Australia. Um, and then had a little bit of a stint back in the U.S. where I was overseeing the international business, um, including Canada, China, and the entire Southern Hemisphere, which was amazing. Um, and then because of some developments in Japan, because of the, the importance of the Japanese business to Burton, I was sent back to Japan in uh, 2007 and put in 12 years running the business for Burton out of APAC and then was sent back to the, uh, the corporate headquarters in, in Burlington, Vermont, and to oversee all the international business. And then a gentleman by the name of Jake Burton came to me one day and said, hey, Craig, you know, this China market looks kind of important. Maybe we should send someone over there that we can trust. And that was Jake's job saying, pack your bags and go. Um, and so in 2019, I took over the role of CEO of, of Burton China. That's well. That's well said. I appreciate that. I've. I think I've had uh, managers or owners of companies speak to me and uh, imply the the similar things that I and I, I kind of picked up what they were putting down in the same way. Yeah, you're not much of a choice to be honest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it was a it was a request, wasn't it? Your professional background, uh, you know, mostly based out of Japan. We know how different. Japan and China are, but maybe some of our, maybe most of our listeners aren't as familiar with those differences. Okay. Especially, and especially the way that it relates to snow sports. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm somewhat guessing, but I'm imagining that you've probably sussed out some, some very major, um, differences, uh, between the two areas. Can you talk to us a little bit about, let's say what you learned in Japan, that you're still applying today, things that worked uh, in your work as CEO Burton, uh, and then let's 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 juxtapose that with with China. What works? What's different? What's the same? Uh, what did you have to relearn? Uh, teach yourself? Uh, understand? Um, if you could actually lay that out for us, I, I think that'd be great. Yeah, you know, you're you're absolutely correct. The, the differences between Japan and, and China are numerous um, culturally. Um, you know, the, the attention to detail the Japanese have versus the, the Chinese love for adventure um, is certainly a, a, a one of the major differences between the, the two cultures um, among many. Um, but it's interesting. There's a lot of similarities between the markets, the, the snow industry markets with, with Japan and China. You know, I was fortunate enough to be in Japan for the 1998 Nagano Olympics. Um, at that, that was the first year that snowboarding was actually in the Olympics. So I was uh, at, at that event and to, to watch snowboarding's uh, Olympic birth, which is pretty amazing. And I look at China today and I really compare it to Japan at that same time frame for this, for specifically for the snowboarding industry, where snowboarding in China today is very much in its infancy, just really getting started. Um, you know, the, 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 interest people have in snowboarding and the lifestyle around snowboarding is, is amazing. The, the energy, the passion people are picking up. And there's a lot of similarities between Japan and China on that front. Um, the other thing that China, that China and Japan share is this desire to kind of get outside social norms. And I think that was one of the reasons why snowboarding in Japan became so popular. Japan is, to be honest, it's a fairly pre-programmed society. What I mean by that, it's not a negative way. It's there's it's it's very much you know the day to day and as people go through life is fairly programmed. And snowboarding gave the Japanese a chance to break out of that program a little bit. And I think it was one of the reasons why 
snowboarding became so popular in Japan and, you know, right after the Olympics, the, the 2000, the 2005 timeframe, it was, it was booming. Um, and I see a lot of similarities between China and Japan and the consumers uh, along those lines, which is going to be extremely interesting to watch the next five years of the, the snow industry in China really, really develop and, and expand. I mean, I think that some of the learnings that we have from growing the Japanese business, we can apply to China, but of course we have to localize it. And that's where the differences are. The, the differences between the consumer and of course, 20 years ago, the, the internet and the digital commerce space was extremely different. Um, and that's one of the major differences between Japan and China is the Chinese consumers so far advanced in the digital world. Um, I, you know, probably the most advanced consumer in the world when it comes to um, the digital space. Yeah, I'm going to want to dive into how that changes things, even even, you know, marketing or, you know, payments or, you know, any of these kinds of things for sure. Right. But let's just dive in. Um, tell us a little bit about the backstory um, with regard to Burton in China specifically. How did it begin? How has it evolved? Um, how difficult was it? How easy was it? And where are you now uh, trying to take it based on what you've learned so far as far as, uh, you know, entering the market of China? Yeah, so we actually entered the Chinese market in 2002. Um, at that time, the industry was fairly non-existent. Um, there was probably only a handful of, of resorts and only a few of those resorts actually had um, aerial lifts. There weren't too many chairlifts in, even in, in China at that time. Um, but knowing the, the, the Chinese, the scale of China, that someday snowboarding and, and, and the ski industry would, would get some traction, it would take off. So we were very patient um, in watching the market. And then in 2006, we actually started to sponsor the Chinese national snowboard team. Really you know, kind of a fun story around uh, that in, in 2006, um, we started the sponsorship and the, the snowboarding team was new. It was actually a number of very young um, boys and girls and because they were boys and girls between 12 and 14 years of age who migrated from some other sports, from gymnasts or, or some gymnastics or in karate to, uh, to snowboarding. And part of the sponsorship deal was to send the athletes to, um, to Canada, to Whistler. Um, and a gentleman by the name of Ben Wainwright was running a snow camp in Whistler in the summertime. And so we sent the team over there and it was about 15, um, you know, participants for the camp. Um, and, you know, they were super excited. None of them spoke English the first time outside of China. And we got them there and got them on snow and kind of said goodbye. And two days later, um, Ben gave me a call and said, hey, Craig, I'm really sorry, but these kids don't really know how to snowboard yet. <laughs> I'm like, Hey Ben, just wait, just dude, give us some time. Give us some time. And he's like, yes. Okay. And two weeks later, he calls me up and say, Hey Craig, you know, um, just want to give you an update. You're right. Um, yeah, they're, they're good athletes. They're snowboarding very well. And this one young girl, her name is new Jayu, um, just did a perfect seven twenty and a half pipe. Um, after two weeks of snowboarding. <laughs> and of course, Mu Jiayu was um, uh, a three-time Olympian and the silver medalist in, at the uh, Chongqing Olympics. So um, we're very proud of, of Jiayu, amazing woman, amazing athlete. Um, anyway, so that was 2006. And then as the market started to show up, uh, started to grow, um, more people showed up to, to learn about snowboarding from all over the world. 
a lot of companies started to enter the market. And to be honest, they ended a little bit too early. So they made some investments and it didn't work out well for them. Um, and then they kind of exited the market. It, um, and then in 2013, thinking that the investments being made in China were going to pay off in, in the future, we started our, our wholly foreign-owned entity, a WUFI, the, the Burton China, in 2013. And then sure enough, that paid off because in 2015, that's when Beijing was awarded the 2022 Winter Olympics. Um, and soon thereafter, um, the central government of China announced that they wanted to create 300 million winter sports enthusiasts. Um, and to be honest, I'm still not quite sure what that means, 300 million winter sports enthusiasts, but um, a lot of investments are being made to support the Olympics. Um, and that really helped to, to accelerate the growth of the, the industry and, and snowboarding. And presently, the growth of the snow industry is pretty, pretty spectacular in China. It's, it's, yeah. the, the scale is, it's hard to fathom the scale. Yes. And I think we've tried multiple times on this podcast to make it fathomable, digestible, understandable. It's just not easy to do. It's 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 like trying to tell people what the volume of sales on Singles Day is to yeah. people who just can't quite comprehend yep. that level of of single day kind of e-commerce or 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 how what actually I mean it's just it's like, you know, trying to think of how far we are away from the sun. Like, it's just yeah. you, you can't quite put it into context. Oh, I'm going to steal that. I'm sorry. I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah, it, but it, it's and it's it's so true. So, you know, let's make a bit of an effort to try to do that. Let's talk about the consumers. OK, uh, you know, let's maybe start there. Customers, consumers, your clients, you know, uh, the whole thing. Um, how are Chinese consumers different when it comes to the snow sports industry? Um, and, and let's, let's maybe lay that out, not just independently, but maybe in comparison to, uh, the West or the rest of the world. I mean, you know, there's Europe, there's North America, there's other areas of the world, but how are the Chinese consumers specifically different? And then let's start to talk. Well, let's sit there. I want to get into localizing product and marketing and stuff. But let's just talk a little bit. Start with the Chinese consumers. Lay that one out for us first. Yeah, so the Chinese consumers are in a very different stage of development for the snow industry than consumers in the Americas and in Europe. Um, Just because the sport and the industry is so new. It's, it's, you know, the, the sport really just took off in 2016, 2017. Um, and the information that the Chinese consumer is getting via snowboarding is, is a different than a different avenue than the Western consumer will get in it. And, um, you know, in China, again, everything's very digitally focused. Um, the, the KOLs or the key opinion leaders are hugely influential in China, where someone in, and um, the Americas of Europe may find their information about skiing and snowboarding and from magazines or from manufacturers or other type of venues. Um, the Chinese consumer really gets it from these from online, from key opinion leaders that are very, very influential. And with that said, they also are business people. Um, so they are paid to educate the consumer and the snow industry as it's starting really to develop the carols are, are very much focused on you know, in, in a positive way to really inform the consumer, but there's a little bit of a, a twist sometimes to how they are informing the consumer. 
Um, of course, one other thing about the Chinese consumer is they love to travel. They love to travel internationally. Um, you know, the, uh, the amount of travelers from, from China to Japan for the snow industry is, is significant. Um, to put things in, in perspective, um, Burton, we have a, a store in, in Hokkaido in the resort town named Niseko. Um, and before COVID, um, about 60, 70% of the customers were from, from China, from either mainland China, Hong Kong, or Taiwan. Um, and then as COVID kicked in and travel became very difficult, um, that the sales at that store dropped 93%. Um, and so and it was primarily due to the impact of the, the China not showing up um, in Niseko. Um, so the impact is felt there. And of course, as that consumer goes to these international destinations, you know, in, in Japan, Niseko, Hakaba, to Canada, to Whistler, to, to Vail, to, you know, to Chamonix, you know, travel the world. Um, that's where they're really learning more about the industry and, and, and the brands that support the industry. Um, and then they take that back to China and, and educate the, their friends via social media, um, social networking. So it's a very different way that uh, the, the Chinese consumers finding out about um, the, the snow industry, I think, than you know, we did when, you know, 20 years ago when, when again, the uh, industry was in its more of a heyday, shall we say, um, and really the, the peak of, of especially the snowboard industry. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, the product and whether you've had to localize uh, the product set at all? And, and it's funny that I'm asking that question, too, because I don't even exactly know what I'm asking, but I feel like. I something there's a, there's a tingling a, some sort of my, my spidey senses tells me that that maybe there's a localization of even product set product design um you know maybe the way that boards are made for different heights and weights and and kind of like height to mass ratio type thing I, I I'm guessing completely obviously guessing here but I I'm just wanted to ask that and see if there's a localizing of product set at all when you're in China and then um once you're done with that let's talk about how you do marketing and 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 maybe localizing marketing and growth of the sport uh and and the the brand in China yeah, you know, the localization of product is important in, in any market around the world, I believe, um, but especially so in, in China. Um, for, you know, for Burton, we make both hard goods and soft goods. On the hard goods side, we don't do specific um, boards for the, the, the Chinese body types for weight, height, foot size. Um, what we do for the riding style, you know, the thing about China is there's not a lot of natural snow. Um, it's, you know, the majority of the country is a desert, um, you know, right outside Beijing and where the Olympics will be in the area of, of Chongli, there's seven resorts. Um, and they probably, if they get, you know, a meter of snow a year, they're, they're doing, they're pretty lucky. Um, so I think is, 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 is man-made. Um, so one of the things that we do do is we localize the type of boards for riding. So the park and ground tricks are extremely popular right now in China. So we do focus the, the actual the technical component of boards on that, um, on that, that style of writing. For the board graphics, that's something that we also localize. Um, again, the Chinese consumer, again, like most consumers around the world, like to have a connection to either their board graphic or, um, 
the, the, the type of boards that they ride. And so we do some localization of products um, for hardware on the, the graphics side. Yeah, the graphics is actually one of the most particular things that I was thinking about because, you know, that the board, board graphics are, are just so huge. And you're right, it's, a, it's such a personal thing um, for, for everybody. But there are certain graphics that may not sell as well in that market, um, you know, as, as well as they would in North America or vice versa. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, the... The, the the funner graphics, the graphics with animals on it, the you know, the the humorous graphics with the are loved in, in China. Um and it's 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 so funny. One of our uh, our top writers, a a writer by the name of Mark McMorris, um had a had his board last year that had a grizzly bear on it, kind of waving hello to people. And um the, the Chinese named him Gary. Um and he was hugely popular and in it was it was almost a cult following for that board. It was, it was so so entertaining to just watch the the fun that people are having with that board and with that graphic. Um, you know, switching gears to the the, the soft goods. Um, obviously, the this is where we focus more on fit because the Chinese consumer, um, in, in general, has a little bit different body shape than than Westerners, um, even more so to be honest than the, the Japanese consumer. So we do a lot of localization of fit. Um, in addition, um, the colorways that are in the outerwear um, presently a little bit more flamboyant, fun colors are the the flavor of choice on the hill. Um, and so the you know, kind of some of the, the, the brighter colors are, are performing very, very well, where in the Western markets, you know, we focus more on kind of the earth tones. Um, so that's that's one of the, the big changes between the, the two markets. Can we talk about marketing just uh, and you can almost uh, take that wherever you want to go. But uh, and we do cover marketing here and there on, on this podcast as well, because marketing to China is is very different. But uh, talk to us about Burton's uh, strategy, some of the some of the key takeaways, things you've learned, um, things you do differently for the China market. Very similar to product. There is localization of the marketing um, and how we, we we speak to the Chinese consumer. You know, first and foremost, the the level of ed- education. The Chinese consumer in this, the snow industry is um, in a very different place than in, in the Western markets. So some of the, 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 the basic marketing is focused more on education of, you know, the, the, not only the sport of, snow, of snowboarding, but the lifestyle around snowboarding, which is um, very, very intriguing for the, the Chinese consumer. Um, and the marketing format we use is much more digitally focused. Um, we do do a lot of uh, integrated marketing, so we'll do a lot of events. Um, this last weekend in, at our Beijing store, we did a rail event in front of the store, um, which is super fun. You know, put up a scaffolding, put some rails in, brought some snow. You know, and people were blown away to to just see the snow and people riding in the city. Um, and it was you know something that we've done in the other markets you know twenty years ago that were you know equally as impactful. Um, and then the difference though is taking all that digital uh, content that was created and focusing that on different avenues and in different uh, platforms in, in China. Um, you know, WeChat, I think is, you know, the, the most amazing social platform in the world right now. Um, I believe they have 800 million um, members on WeChat. I could be wrong on that number, but somewhere on that, that scale. I second that motion. Yeah. And it just, it blows me away how, how amazing WeChat is. And, and it's such a, you know, a, a, a platform for everything. 
And of course, we're using that platform really to help to sell, tell the story of, of Burton, along with a number of other um, smaller platforms. And I think that's a big difference where the, the Chinese consumer you know, really lives on their phone, even more so than um, you know, the, the Western consumer. And that's what we capitalize on. We, we, we generate a lot of our content specifically for um, you know, digital consumption. I want to dive maybe into snow sport lifestyle. Okay. So as we know, snowboarding and most snowboarders, uh, similar to surfing, uh, would say it's, it's not just a sport. It's a lifestyle, dude. And Burton taps into that incredibly effectively around the world. To what extent is that notion? Can that notion be relevant in China? I mean, would this mean that you know, if it was, would you sell more apparel than hard goods, for example? And and does that have any effect on your marketing? Are you allowed to to penetrate China? You know, that it's it's not just a, a good, it's not just a textile, it's not just a sport, it's a lifestyle. And can you can you potentially integrate that into your marketing as well? Oh yeah. The 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 most important focus for for Burn China is sharing the fun of the lifestyle around snowboarding. Um, to be very honest, we wouldn't have to do too terribly much marketing. We have to do too terribly much work to, to lead the snowboarding industry. Um, you know, and I don't mean to be arrogant when I say that quite the opposite. We're fortunate enough where, you know, Jake's 40 years of working, working his ass off to make Burton and snowboarding, um, you know, the, sport of choice for, and the brand of choice for the, the 20 somethings and the 30 somethings of the world. Um, and that is also happening in China. The lifestyle component of, of snowboarding is, you know, it's, it's one of our main focuses going forward. Um, you know, the opportunity on the business side, which to be honest at Burton, you know, obviously it's a business, but it's not our main focus. Our main focus as a brand is to, you know, first and foremost, have as much fun as possible and share that fun. Um, it's, it's really one of Jake's visions early on. And um, he tells a story about when he started Burton, the reason he started it, because he wanted to make a, just a bunch of money. Um, and he knew it'd be a sport someday. And, and honestly, the first year he, he failed. Um, and after the first year, he switched his mindset to really being focused on the rider, focused on doing the right thing for the brand, for the sport, and then the business would follow. And that's been Burton's direction since you know the, the late 70s. Um, and I, I do believe it's one reason why Burton is Burton, because the business is important, but that's not first and foremost. So as we look at the Chinese market, you know, mm-hmm. and we know that we will we will do well in the, the snowboard industry. We don't have to do a lot of work to, to be the industry leader in China. We don't have to do a lot of work to really be successful on the business standpoint. Again, that's not us though. We will work hard on the snowboarding side, but where we see the opportunity to really share the, the spirit of Burton and share Jake's spirit in China is with the lifestyle side. One of the big differences between the Chinese market and all the other markets around the world is the Chinese consumer doesn't really know Burton yet. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work all over the world for Burton and, you know, I'll meet people either in a chairlift or a bar or wherever I'll meet them and, you know, just chat up a conversation. I'll say, yeah, I work for this company called Burton. Oh, Burton snowboards. I love Burton, but I'm not a snowboarder. So it's not necessarily brand for me. Um, but so for the Chinese consumer, 
um, we have this ability to position the brand a little different in their mind. So the mind space that we're hoping to own as a Chinese consumer is much more about the lifestyle side. You know, bringing the spirit of, of snowboarding to the consumer 365 days a year. And how we will do that is through the, the apparel side of the business. We will, you know, our, our business format and how we're going to take the brand to the markets um, will be a little bit different than the other, uh, the other markets. And right now, presently in, in China, mono-branded stores are extremely important for a brand. Um, do you know, the, the shopping malls everywhere in China are, are destinations. You know, people, you know, it mentioned everything's very digitally focused. However, that, that retail brick and mortar is still an area of uh, importance for a brand because it really validates a brand. Some of the shopping malls in, in China are, are destinations for people to go to to really learn about what's new in, in the industry or sorry, the, you know, in the retail world. Um, there's some amazing uh, shopping malls. One of the, the top selling shopping malls in the world is actually in Beijing. It's called SKP. Um, I think they did uh, U.S. dollars, $2.6 billion in sales last year. Um, one of the top uh, top shopping malls in the world, revenue-wise. Um, their biggest day was November 16th last year, and they did 150 million U.S. dollars in sales in one day, um, which I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah, those are almost distance to the sun numbers again, but... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, are you kidding me, Craig? So, so, so to be in these, these shopping areas, it validates the brand. And again, so, you know, if you go to a shopping mall, you're not going to go to a shopping mall to buy a snowboard or boots or bindings, but you're going to go there to, you know, maybe buy a backpack, maybe buy some, you know, some apparel. And that's a format that we will evolve in China a little bit differently than in the other worlds, well, uh, the other regions. Um, we are planning to have that 100 to 150 square meter stores that are very much talking about the lifestyle of brand, you know, the, the fun, the, you know, the, 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 travel, the art, the music, everything that makes up the, the lifestyle around snowboarding will be really telling the consumer that story at these smaller mall-based stores. And of course, in the same breath, we will have flagship stores around the, the major cities in China. Um, and those will be truly the, the full rollout of the entire product line and, and the service and the community building that's that's so important around the sport. Mm-hmm. When you... When you talk about monobranded, that's that's a Burton independent store, right? It's not it's not Burton product in another store in a in a more bigger box store. That's a independent branded, fully owned, you know, four walls or just Burton stuff type thing. That, that is correct. Yeah. So when I'm talking monobranded store, it is one brand. It's just Burton. It is um, you know, no no other brands will be in there. It's run by ourselves. It's run by by Burton China, um, and it will be again those those the, the two formats that we're looking at again that that mall based which is really focused on telling the story and the lifestyle around snowboarding. And then that, that's that larger flagship is more about community building and creating a, an education center for people who want to really get into the sport and learn not only about snowboarding, but about bird. Right. Would you, I, and I know that, you know, retail didn't exactly die. It certainly didn't go the direction that a lot of people were predicting 10 years ago, but it, I think it has somewhat morphed in its relevance and its direction. And I've had other guests say that retail didn't die because people still prefer to shop offline. They just bought online. 
And would you, would you, would you, would you, what would you say to that? Would you, would you say that that is still potentially true? And, and how true might that be for a brand like Burton? Yeah, absolutely. We, we do see that. You know, we see people that come into one of our flagship stores, try on five different types of boots, spend an hour talking with one of our, um, our Burton guides and working at the store and, you know, they'll be, Hey, thanks. Bye. And then we're, we're, almost positive that they go home and shop online to try to find the best deal that they, they can find. Um, but with this said, there's a different customer who wants to be part of the community around the stores. And that's why it's so important to build you know, a community at stores. You know, one of the brands that does it amazingly well is Lululemon. You know, hats off Lululemon. They just they crush it when it comes to the community building and, and really creating this sense of belonging to a store. Um, and Lululemon does extremely well in China. I don't know their numbers, but I'd, I'd love to know them. I'm sure they're um, one of the reasons their their stock prices is is cranking um, today. But um, and that's that's we're taking a page out of that book. We're really you know, we, we've done that all over the world, of course. So it's not new to us, but it's it's a, a main focus. And so there is that consumer that wants to be part of that community that's at the store that you know looks to create friendships and, and, you know, interaction with other people at the retail world. Um, so I think that's, you know, as you look at the different type of con- consumers, there's absolutely that person who goes to the store, checks something out and then buys online. And then there's the other consumer who you know, is looking for more than just buying something, but, you know, the education and, and the, the sense of belonging to a, to a model branded store. I wanted to discuss strategy. So, one of the questions that I was thinking to ask was around key tactics and strategies that have worked well for Burton in China. But I wanted to preface that with how does one begin to start to strategize and set goals for a market entry into China? Can you, at a, at a high level, take what you're what you guys have learned from going through the setting of goals and then having those busted and then learning from them and then, you know, getting much better at setting your goals and strategies. Uh, what kind of advice can you, can you actually maybe pass along on, on how you would advise other companies that are coming in, maybe even in the store sports industry, what can they expect about their goal setting? China is definitely a different market when it comes to the, the business models that people approach the market with, you know, the number of people in, in the different sporting industries have approached the business or their business in different ways. Um, you know, at Burton, we were very patient and we're fortunate for we're a privately owned um, company. So we don't have a lot of the pressures that some public traded companies do have. Um, but my suggestion to people and companies looking to enter the Chinese market is, is learn about the market first and foremost. Learn about your consumer. Learn their, their wants, what, you know, what motivates them to um, engage with a brand. Um, and that, that takes time. And it takes a lot of, of patience. Um, I saw a number of brands that came in very aggressively and they didn't succeed. Um, they made mistakes. And that's the other thing is in China's like any, any in, um, region is when you make a mistake, the consumer doesn't forget it. Um, and it kind of puts a little bit of a, I don't want to say a black mark on the brand, and, but it certainly has a, a tendency to make it more difficult to become successful if you make these cultural mistakes that the consumer kind of learns about. And again, in the digital world now, there's, I don't think there's any secrets anywhere anymore. <laughs> and it's certainly very, very true in China. And 
So that's the first thing is take, be patient, take your time, learn about the industry, learn about your consumer. And then um, you know, a lot of the successful companies find local partners. Um, and that's another uh, you know, potential part, excuse me, a potential possibility for people and companies are to find a very strong partner. Um, and it's not necessary for the partner to run the business, help run the business, but more the back office. The one thing about China is government relations are extremely important. Um, and it's difficult for foreign companies to come in and create government relations. Um, that's where a local partner certainly can help. Um, and that, that's a good way to, to get in the markets quickly and a little bit, I don't even use the word safer, but it certainly does help. Yeah. It's like a Sherpa or yeah, exactly. it's, it's a, it's a bit of a safety net or something. Just somebody who knows the, you know, understands the landscape, you know, on the ground. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's, it's it, absolutely. And of course, choosing the right partner is, is that's a challenge. That's a bit of time. And I think we all know companies that have chose the wrong partners um, and paid dearly for those mistakes. Um, but then, then the next key component of working in China is once you are set to start your business, you need to move at China speed. And that's, that's a term you'll hear quite a bit in China. And China speed is getting everything done yesterday. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing where you know, once, you know, ready, set, gone, almost a mentality where you have to work very, very quickly once everything's in, in motion. Again, this goes back to the, the the fact that the digital world is so um, impactful in the day-to-day life of the Chinese. Information just flows so quickly, and you need to capitalize on opportunity. And that's uh, for Burton, for snowboarding, we're very fortunate with the Olympics, which is you know, giving you know, the sport and the industry a lot of, um, I don't want to say free publicity, but it's, it's certainly a lot of publicity that's helping to educate the consumer and to capitalize on it, it's very important for us to move quickly and um, efficiently to make sure that we don't lose the moment. Because, again, the digital world moves so quickly. If we don't capitalize on it at this time, then the next trend will come very quickly and will be uh, bypass, which is one of, one, of the, one of the challenges. Let's talk about the impact of the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics uh, for Burton, China. This is obviously a big deal. This is probably something that Burton China has been eagerly anticipating uh, for some time. We're probably very excited when the decision was made to to have it go to Beijing. What uh, you know? Tell us a little bit about you know the impact that uh, that kind of Beijing winning that bid uh, had on on Burton China. Uh, you know how have you? started to to build out and ramp up activities uh what you know everything about the lead up and what you're doing to get ready and take advantage of the winter olympics uh in in beijing and then uh and then we'll talk a little bit about maybe what uh you know if you've started thinking about life after uh the beijing olympics yeah you know when when beijing was awarded the the winter olympics i believe in 2015 it was definitely the start um, of development of the, the snow industry in China. Um, at that time, the industry was, was fairly underdeveloped. Resorts didn't have a lot of um, infrastructure. Um, getting to the resorts was, was quite arduous. Um, getting from 
downtown Beijing out to uh, the Chongli area where the the snowboarding and skiing outdoor events will be held was a between a four and 11 hour car ride, depending upon um, traffic and conditions. Um, since the 2015 Olympics, the infrastructure that has been created by both the government and the resorts is, is world-class. Now to get from downtown Beijing to the Chongli area I mean, where the, the um, Olympics will be and there. Now there are seven um, very, very, well-developed resorts in Chongli. Um, so it's, it's pretty interesting. Now that trip's only uh, a 55 minute uh, high-speed railway train ride or a two and a half hour car ride on one of two highways. So the government certainly put their, their the money where their mouth is when they talked about supporting the Olympics. And in the same breath, not only in the Chongli area, but all over China, the development and the investments by resorts is it's it's phenomenal. It's 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 almost to a scale that is um, unbelievable. Um, you know, up in northeast China and in, in Dongbei, where really snowboarding and skiing was was born in China. Uh, the number of resorts that are being developed and the the number of hotels and apartments that are being put in resorts is is phenomenal. Um, going out west to um, the area of Xinjiang, um, which gets a lot of very, um, very good natural snow, some beautiful mountains, absolutely amazing national parks. Um, the investments going on in that part of China, um, again, world class, not only the infrastructure for accommodations, but um, snowmaking facilities and the uh, chairlifts and all the, the hard goods that goes around the resort is is, is phenomenal. Um, so we're very, very excited about the other thing that's very interesting in, in China that not a lot of people know is there are a lot of indoor snow domes. There's over 30 indoor snow domes and the largest snow domes in the world, three of the largest snow domes are in China. Um, the largest being. You're going to have to uh, tell us what a snow dome is. <laughs> OK, sorry. So it's, it's an indoor it's an indoor uh, um, resort. It's an indoor snow area. So. Um, for skiing and snowboarding 365 days a year inside. And the the complexes are huge. What would the height and like, what would the meters of that run look like? Yeah. So the biggest one up in Harbin, the largest um, run is 550 meters. So that's, that's over half a kilometer long and it's indoors. Um, and the snow conditions are, are quite good. The snow is great. And, um, you know, it, it, it's very temperature controlled. And it's funny, there's the story about Harbin and um, one of the reasons they made the indoor dome in Harbin is because it's so cold in the wintertime. You can go inside and snowboard or ski <laughs> in a much warmer climate. You can. <laughs> That's funny. You would sit, you you would be indoors during the summer yeah. just because there would be snow, but you'd also be indoor during the winter because it's actually too it's, cold to, it, to be outside. It, I'm talking cold. We're talking cold. Um, you know, minus, minus 30 um, degree centigrade is, is pretty a normal day there. Um, to the point where back in the day, um, when you get on a chairlift, they give you a blanket, um, to keep you warm. So I've been there yeah. and I could, I did, I did new year's, uh, 2008, 2009 in Harbin. Oh, so, so you know, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know it's a little foggy cause I think you have to stay half tipsy, you know, the entire time, but yes, I, I do remember. Yeah. It's good fun. But, but again, going back to, you know, the, the impact of the Olympics, you know, the infrastructure is amazing. And then, you know, there's like Olympics everywhere in the world when the host country, um, 
you know, is awarded the Olympics, the amount of investment with businesses to support and sponsor the Olympics is phenomenal. Um, you know, Air China, Bank of China, their sponsors um, for the Olympics and they're, you know, they're promoting Olympics everywhere you go. Um, and one of the main sports that they are promoting either via, you know, television, um, digital channels, um, billboards within the city, you know, bus stop billboards is, is snowboarding. Um, because it is that up, up and coming, you know, sport. And um, it, it has a couple of somebody has a couple of elements that uh, are very intriguing to the to the Chinese market is, um, you know, kind of the aerial tricks for you know, the half pipe riders coming out and doing, you know, the amazing um, uh, tricks within the half pipe, which is has a gymnastic kind of feel to it. Um, being outside and in, in, in the danger component of it, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the Olympic athletes, the, the wall of a, a half pipe is, is, you know, seven meters and um, the athletes are coming out another seven or eight meters out of the half pipe. So they're basically four stories off the ground as they look into the base of the, the half pipe and, and half pipes are, they're pretty, pretty solid ice blocks <laughs> and if you come down just a little bit off your your mark it's, it ends up being a very bad day for the riders so i think that's something that the the chinese um you know, consumer in the chinese market really is is impressed by and, and it is it is very impactful um and i don't mean that as a pun by any means um but uh and part of part of the fun of teaching the, the market about snowboarding is not just the lifestyle about it but truly the sport in the competition side, um, and, and the, you know, the Chinese consumer, the Chinese culture is is like most cultures, just love sports. You know, it's um, pretty pretty impressive. And you know, although snowboarding isn't necessarily a, a spectator sport, more a participant sport, it's still people still enjoy watching it. And it's um, you know, in the U.S., it's one of the the top watch events for the Olympics. And we're expecting to see similar uh, viewership for snowboarding in China for this, the coming Olympics. How long is a half pipe? Like how, how many meters is that? Oh, it depends. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Is you're, you're, you've I'm got, just curious because I'm, I'm, I'm again, still trying yeah. to figure out this, the, the snow dome. Cause I've actually never been in oh, one yeah. and I, <laughs> I'm still stuck there. And I'm like, well, they, so you probably fit in a, a, a half pipe. So a great place to train. So like Olympic half pipes there. I, I apologize. Actually, I don't know the, the, the actual length, but I'm pursuing probably 350 to 400 meters. Um, and you're right. You could put a half pipe within the dome. And the other thing about interesting about the domes, the snow domes, um, there's chairlifts inside. So you get, you know, you're on a, a two seater chairlift going up um, the, the dome. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, it, it, unless you, you, you know, jump somewhere, we should jump online and check out like the, the Harbin snow dome or the Chengdu snow dome. It's, it's such an structure. That's awesome. Uh, I appreciate that. That's uh, some great stuff for people to go and Google right away. And <laughs> snow domes in China. Um, it, it's probably really, really impressive. I, I wanted to ask one more thing, uh, just from a high level, from from and, and from your vantage point. And you've mentioned this term that came from the government, which was create three hundred million snow sport enthusiasts. From your vantage point, what has creating 300 million snow sport enthusiasts look like, looked like so far since they put that initiative in motion? Yeah, so the, the creating the 300 
more sports enthusiasts, it's, you know, it, it, to be honest, a fairly vague term, but directionally um, it's something that everyone has embraced. Um, and it's, it's in so many different aspects and it, it's not just snow sports. It's like ice hockey. You know, the, the ice hockey industry is, is also booming in China. The number of new skate ranks going up is, is very impressive. And that's part of that, that culture. So it's, it's a, a very much of an encompassing um, term. And it also encompasses um, fitness and, you know, a healthy lifestyle. And that's something that we're also seeing where the, you know, as people really take that to heart to 300 million winter sports enthusiasts. It's, you know, is it, is it just throwing a snowball at somebody? Is that part of it? But with the message to, um, to everyone is, you know, really to improve the standard of living. And I think that's one thing that the Olympics will do is really help people's uh, standard of living improve in China. And to be honest, that's one thing that, you know, we want to do with snowboarding in China is to share the love of, of being outside, being with your friends, being with your family, you know, snowboarding by yourself, isn't it's okay, but it's so much better to do with other people. And, you know, and, and the founder of the company, Jake Berg, he was, he was always very much of a, um, you know, always pushed the fun side of the, the business, always really made that a priority. And I think that as we, as a company, Burton, you know, help to support the creation of 300 million more sports enthusiasts. It's, it is the, the fun component of it. How do we teach people that, you know, if, if you do strap on a snowboard, it's going to be fun. It's going to be part of, you know, you're, you'll be brought into this lifestyle that is just so much more than going down the hill. It's, you know, spending time with your friends. It's, we talked about board graphics. It's, you know, it's joining art and the music and all these, these components of it. And I think that all wraps into this, the creation of the, the 300 million winter sports enthusiasts. Um, Cause it's much more than just doing a sport. Um, and that's the exciting part. And that's, that's really the opportunity is in China for anyone who wants to come here is, you know, the scale is, is uh, again, unfathomable, you know, it's, you know, the, the median age in China right now is 38 years old. So that means that there's 700 million people under the age of 38. Um, so that's, you know, it, 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 it's mind boggling then the, just the, again, the scale of what's going on and, um, and it's fun. It's very different, of course, different, different place, but um, that's also what makes it so much fun. Last question. And I'm going to just lean in on that word that you repeated a couple of times, fun. How has that changed and how are companies even like Bert in China trying to potentially overcome that? How are you helping drive fun? Is China accepting and making fun more of a priority, more of a factor in their life and integrating that into the culture? Oh, great question. And you're right. And you know, I think that, you know, the, the, the recent history of China is, you know, it has been focused on, um, you know, getting people out of poverty, you know, yeah. Serious is more work and academic yeah. and, and, and that, but yeah. fun was not necessarily overly encouraged. It wasn't, it was a luxury. And, and going back to that, you know, the implementation of the, the, the central government plan to create 300 million more sports enthusiasts. I think that was the beginning of lighting the fuse for people to have fun. It really kind of changed the momentum of the market. It changed you know, how people were thinking, you know, the, the Chinese have worked very, very hard to create, a, you know, this, this economy, you know, the second largest economy in the world. And now it's the fun factor is kicking in. 
Um, and it may be a little bit altruistic, but you know, that's one reason we want to bring snowboarding to China is so people can have more fun. You know, again, going back to kind of one of Jake's vision is, you know, have as much fun as possible and, and share the fun. And that's, that's part of our responsibility as a brand and as, as a sport is to, you know, educate people the importance of having fun. And I think that that, that fuse is definitely in China and it's changing and the younger generation is, is capitalizing on it. Um, and I do believe that, you know, although it's a small um, part of, of society, but as people embrace snowboarding and the, the snow industry, they will have more fun. Um, and um, it's, it's something to very much look forward to. And I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky man to be sitting here in China to have this opportunity to, um, you know, carry Jake's dream forward. There, there's so much to say about that. And I, I, I wrap it with a, a, a tiny monologue here for a sec, because when people ask me, you know, what about China? Did you, you know, what did you think of China? You lived in China. And I said, yeah, you know what? I had a lot of fun. When I look back, that's almost the overriding thing. When I was in China, I, I actually really did. I had a lot of fun. And we see it now. China has made some very measurable steps towards having more fun and encouraging people to have more fun. They've scaled back testing in school um, and are now encouraging parents to just relax a little bit on on that and, and, and have put some measures in place to help them realize they don't need to push their kids so hard. The investment in fun infrastructure has gone, you know, incredibly from, you know, Disney coming in, a lot more ski hills, a lot more ice rinks, just a lot more places for people to be able to have fun, to increase enjoyment. And then, you know, more brands and more, more accessibility and more excitement around things like snowboarding which is one of the funnest of fun sports uh, to possibly enjoy during the winter so I, I i agree i i think china has is really moving towards a place that is now embracing fun i i agree 100 you know they uh, a universal studios just opened up in beijing and i believe that they're sold out for the next four months <laughs> and so the the people's um focus on having fun is, is phenomenal. Um, and it's, 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 it's so encouraging and it's, again, I'm just very, very lucky to, to be here and be watching the, uh, the change in, in the Chinese society. And I do believe it's a very, very positive thing that will impact the world because the Chinese loves to travel. They'll take, you know, they'll be, they'll be sitting in, you know, Whistler soon and in, in Vale and in Chamonix, like I mentioned earlier, and it's going to be, going to be amazing. Last little wrap up question here. We ask a lot of people who might you recommend who are a couple of people just from any industry doesn't have to be from snow sports or anything, but, uh, but it also can be, if you want a couple of guest recommendations, just people you might be interested to listen to on this show. Ooh, good question. Um, you know, the, the, within the snow industry, specifically the snowboarding industry, this gentleman by the name of Steve Zardowski, um, an Austrian gentleman, um, who, because of COVID, isn't in China at this time, but he's considered the the, the godfather of snowboarding in China. And he came here and uh, came to China in 2000 and really helped to start the snowboarding industry um, and is, is well uh, respected in the industry. As a matter of fact, the first snowboarding event in China was um, run by Steve. Um, and it was the Nanshan Open in 2002. And actually, Bird, we were the title sponsor at that time. It was quite, quite an interesting event where they had to hand make the half pipe. 
Um, it was quite fun. But he his his knowledge of not only the the Chinese culture but the Chinese snow industry is is you know second to none. Um, and then switching gears, um, an interesting gentleman who's um, the son of the founder of Wanda Group, a gentleman by the name of Wang Sutong. Um, very interesting uh, guy. He's um, been in the press in some negative ways in the past, but he just loves snowboarding also. Um, and very, very uh, interesting guy and very, very um, knowledgeable about the, the snow industry and um, not only snow industry, he's actually heavy into gaming now and, and, and investing in gaming um, and kind of the leader in that that field right now. But um, yeah, if you can, can talk to him, thanks, Tom, that would be We'd like to hear more about what he has to think about uh, um, what's going on in China now. And really going back to that, that topic of focusing on fun, um, I leave that, leave that charge. Well, thank you very, very much. I have absolutely appreciated and loved having you on the show. This was such a fun conversation. And I think we're all looking forward to uh, not only the uh, Winter Olympics uh, in Beijing coming up soon, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and definitely hoping for a lot of uh, success uh, for Burton in China. I think that uh, a lot of success for Burton in China means that there'll be a lot more fun being had in China. So Craig Smith, CEO of Burton China, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. It was, it was very enjoyable. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.